Welcome to Dragon Heart, the official Rexmay FC radio show, live on Callum FM and available on all podcast outlets afterwards. We are Mark Griffiths, Jay Long and Bill Long. We're going to be talking about Woking, Gateshead and live streaming. Young again in another corner, he's looking for Hayden. Let's drop back post to Jordan Davis, is a good head, has gone back in, it's 1-0! It was coming, the pressure was relentless. This is Dragonheart. Well, Woking. It was a really, really tough battle, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah, I think, (laughs) I kind of feel like we, us three are going to be living in some kind of bizarro land for the next uh, 20 minutes to half an hour, depending on how long we talk about the next two games because the reaction online was very different to how the three of us perceived it and Neil perceived it when we when we watched the game and, and commentated on it. Um, Woking are going to be one of the better sides that we play this year and to come away with three points after after that kind of match, regardless of the fact that they have 10 men, is it, going to serve as well for the, the rest of the year, Mark, isn't it? 100%. I mean, I must say, I, I think it's important we address that that reaction and the reaction in the stadium on Tuesday as well. I've got to say that there's also been an awful lot of people who have been saying, why are people complaining? There's been a, yeah. there's been a big backlash on there as well. Um, and certainly a lot of people I spoke to who were at the games, you know, sort of didn't agree with criticism and were very happy with our situation. Um, I would just say that we're one point off top. Yeah, I don't think we're as fluent as we'd like to be. But we deserve to win both games. We were the better side in both games. And, you know, the, the situation we're at the moment, the number of points we're getting per match, we'll get mid-90s and we've not got started yet. The number of goals we're getting per match, we should get about 100 goals and we've not got started yet. So if people are complaining that we haven't gelled properly yet, then God help the rest of the league when we do. But I, I think a win at Woking is an excellent result, especially early season, because they seem to have some knack of starting well, don't they, early in the season? Oh, we yeah, could break down the gate game in a second, but I think sorry to cut in shape, but the everybody who's listens to this right now should go and watch the latest episode where we see the of the of the documentary where we see the first couple of games of last season losing to certain teams and poor results. And then look at how we're doing now. Okay, performance levels might be similar, but we're getting the points now, aren't we, Che? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and that's the most important part. And we're a winning side and. The one thing that's worried about me is about with the fans is and I'm not criticizing the fans. I think you know the first 20 minutes on Tuesday they were excellent and I'm sure they were amazing away at Woking, and they they were amazed they were amazing at Gateshead. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was Ollie Palmer's interview that really bothered me. The fact that he's mentioned it, he's he's mentioned the fans' reaction to two three one wins and seems really bemused by it. It's obviously getting to the players. And it's the last thing we should be doing really right now. You know, we've lost one game against a really good quality side. Yes, we've not looked at our best, but we've just won 3-1, 3-1 and 5-0. Come on, let's let's chill out a little bit. Let's chill out a little bit. We're not, we're not, we're, we're a really good side, but we are not Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, are we? So things aren't going to be perfect. I would take us winning scrappy and not perfect all day long than playing well and losing. So, yeah, I, th- I think fans need to lower the expectations just a tiny little bit. But, yeah, I, I, think... I would say as well that, that, I mean, in the ground as well on Tuesday, there was a lot of excellent backing of the team, including when some people were getting edgy, uh, especially, I don't, I don't think it's got a name anymore, has it? That stands behind the goal. Um, you know, I thought they really got behind the team superbly when the two side stands were starting to get edgy. And I hope the players see that and, and appreciate that as more representative. But, uh, you know, a few people whistling makes a lot more noise than people clapping. Um, I would say in terms of that good start of the season we're having, and, and let's, let's be frank here, this is clearly a very good start, especially compared to last year. I remember saying quite a bit last year about Alan Olga, the, the betting guru, saying that when they work out the odds for who can win the league, a big milestone for them is what happened in the first 10 games. There are certain things they expect um, teams who are going to go on and win a league to have achieved in the first 10 games. Last season, we didn't achieve quite a lot of them. Now, 
well, if I can give one example, first 10 games last season, we didn't win any games back-to-back. This time, well, we're currently on a run of three wins in a row. We're also on our second-best unbeaten home league run of the century and the ninth-best wow. in the football league. So 17 home league games unbeaten. So, yeah, I think we should boo because they're not serving up the good stuff at the race course, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can see where some fans are coming from, yeah. you know. We have, we are the favourites going into pretty much every match this season, but we just can't be perfect. I I just hope the fans just remember where we've come from a little bit. Sometimes I know that sounds a bit brutal, but yeah. Anyway, let let's get back. Let's get to that Woking game, Mark. What was your initial thoughts going into the game? Because we all know Woking are a really tough side, and for me will be challenging playoffs this season. Yeah, I thought yeah, I did think it was a, a tricky game out of those five games after the Chesterfield match, which I was hoping we'd win to to boost us. It looked like the toughest one on paper. And I think the way that we went about it was good. I mean, to be fair to Woking, they've gone down to 10 men and they've come at us really hard. Uh Aaron Hayden of course getting that opening goal is is a huge help when you get you take a lead in a game like that and then they lose a man. They're trying to chase the match. But still, at half-time, I, I felt comfortable. I thought we were, you know, pretty much in control. To be fair to Walking, they then scored a brilliant equaliser. And I think it doesn't matter how many players you've got on the pitch, if you can put in a cross of that quality and the player in the far post can finish like that, what, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> exactly. There was nothing anyone could have done about it, really. He was on Hay- Hayden's... Um... Blind side, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. But let's talk about Aaron Hayden for a second, Bill, because I think it was you, Mark. It was Manny Smith was the last centre half to score two goals in one game. This player that we've got in Aaron Hayden just keeps on proving time and time after again how valuable he is defensively and how valuable he is when we're attacking corners or throw long throw-ins. He he's so important to our side, isn't he, Bill? Yeah, I mean he's he's the he he's the linchpin. I'd say you know a lot of people will look at uh, Mullen as being our most important player, and obviously there's it'd be difficult to argue with that. But Aaron Hayden provides goals and and is defensively fantastic. Um, he he's a player that you rarely see in this division, and it, it's only the the project that's going on at Wrexham that allows him to have stayed here for a second season, because I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that at least a League One club would have come in for him after the, the performances last year if we hadn't have had the sort of financial backing to be able to keep a player like Aaron uh, in, the, in the area. Uh, I mean, th- this is the, the unofficial Aaron Hayden fan club, isn't it, this podcast? Uh, I, I love him. I, 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 I've, I've, we've, we've just, we just go back and listen to any of the episodes last year and see what we say about him because it's just, it's still applying. He's so consistent. Oh, Mark, finish it for me. I, I'm gushing too much to, uh, to be able to finish what I want to say. <laughs> I mean, physically, he's phenomenal, isn't he? You know, that cliche about, oh, some players could drop down to non league. It's very rough. It's very physical. They're underestimating the fact that the higher levels are technical and very physical. And he drops down and, and he, he can bully the big, strong strikers that opposing sides have got. Uh, sometimes, I do think sometimes he can get a little carried away to chase the ball, perhaps. And my son, with his coach's eye, pointed out that in the Woking game, that second goal, he's telling Toza to step up when probably he should be looking to get back. And then the same happened on Tuesday, where he asked Toza to step in when a player got in behind him. And again, Tosa didn't because I think it wasn't really his responsibility on that occasion. He even just put his foot down on the accelerator and went past the guy and took the ball off him. So I think he has the odd little moments of, of misjudgment, but then every footballer does. Um, but, but his attributes, his strength, his ability to head, his incredible ability to jump and his acceleration really uh, mean that when there are any issues around caused by any reason, He's equipped to deal with it. He can put fires out and at the other end, wow, when, when he when he gets a run on somebody. I mean, look at that, that second goal at Woking. Uh, 
the keeper looks stupid because he's come out and Hayden's beaten him to it. To be fair to the keeper, yeah, it was his mistake. He didn't make the punch, but he, he had to come because Hayden had a run of about two yards on on his marker. There was no way the centre back was going to get up and beat Hayden to that. And and Ross, obviously, the goalkeeper can see that he has to come and try and punch because he knows if he doesn't, Hayden's getting there first and scoring. Okay, he didn't make the punch. That's a mistake. But the decision's correct because Hayden, in those situations, is close to unbeatable. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't really add any more to that, Mark. Uh, Hayden, what impresses me is his. It's just it's his all round game for me. He's, he's just too good to be at this level. He seriously isn't, and his leap is just incredible. It's it, isn't it? His, his physical attributes are completely amazing for me. I I would argue he's the best centre half in the league. Uh, be uh, I'd like to hear from other fans. I I know I'm biased, but yeah. Following on from that game, Bill, is there any other notable performance performances for you on that Woken game? Um. I think uh, it was it was a a bit like the Gateshead game, and I think this, in in fairness to fans who are frustrated, I don't think you should voice your concerns the way that happened at Gateshead. But for for the the reasoning behind it is it was a both games were a kind of strange performance in that we were uh, they were down a man, but we didn't necessarily look like we were up a player because both teams worked really hard off the ball to make sure that 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 um that lack of of a man was made up. I think in terms of the players, um, Luke Young's always solid. Uh, it was nice to see Ollie Palmer get off the mark, but for for me, the the key performance after half time was Elliot Lee coming on and the change of formation. Um, his his ability to sort of get in behind players and use his passing ability to get uh, get around is is a uh, phenomenal for this level, and and it'll be interesting to see how much he fits into the squad as the as the season goes forward, won't it, Mark? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he did the same on Tuesday, of course. And I think that's part of the issue of why we've stuttered slightly, because when we've tried to accommodate him, it's just changed our shape around a bit in midfield. And, and you know, I think we're trying to work out how to make the most of him. I mean, I was happy with the second half until late on. I thought that, well, you know, they scored that goal. That was a great goal. And then we have a situation where we come back get another Hayden header and control things, I thought, pretty mm -hmm. well. And when we get the third goal, it looks over. It's just that then we got caught on the break, which is one of those ironic things that happened against Gateshead as well. You know, mm -hmm. we're three one up and we still keep pushing for more goals because that's the way we're set up. And I'm sure fans like that, you know. Fans like seeing teams go for another. But in both occasions, it left us a little bit undermanned at the back and we got caught out by teams... Who broke extremely quickly and extremely well, to be fair. You know, I, mean, I think we've also got to remember that opponents are allowed to play well. And Woking and Gateshead both did that. Um, but no, I was I was quite happy with that. A win at Woking is a good result. There's plenty of teams who will not get a win there. You know, they're a solid, I think, mid-table team probably, but they're not easy to beat. And for good patches of that game, we were in control of it. Um Bill mentioned it briefly a second ago. We did change formation, didn't we, Mark? Mm. And a lot of the fans, I think, have been pining out for us to play four at the back. I'm not sure that's the answer to our problems. I don't think if we play four at the back, we're magically going to become this free-flowing football side. I actually think the formation we're playing right now can actually be a really attacking formation, especially if the wing-backs are let loose. What's your reply to that, then? My reply to it is, why do you want to go to four at the back? I suppose, um, right? The way I can, the way I get it, is it might give an opportunity for Lee to start. So you keep the midfield three. Lee is in front of them. Um, all right, I, I get that. We're going to lose other things though, because if you switch to that, then our wing backs have got it. Well, they become full backs, and although they'll still be expected to give some width, they can't come forwards as much. So. Rosanna and Mondi can't get up the pitch as much as they do and cause problems. Um, I also think, you know, am I wrong in saying people want people talk about our formation being defensive and they talk about Parkinson being defensive? 
the facts just don't back that up. We scored over 100 goals last season. Our wing-backs, for me, the issue, and I think this is, for me, this is the main issue so far this season as we're bedding down. Our wing-backs now go so high up the pitch that it's quite easy to get in behind them, which is where both those those breakaway goals came from. I, 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 you know, for me, it's that we're too attacking, but I don't mind it because I think back to 2002, 2003 season, Dennis Smith played three at the back and his two wingers were Carlos Edwards and Paul Edwards. And I've used the word wingers deliberately because theoretically they were wing backs, but they weren't wing backs. They were wingers. They were going at teams all the time. And it felt like Smith had decided, okay, if you, put, if you stuff enough good attacking and creating players into a team in that League 2, you'll blow teams away. And that's what we've been doing. Look at our results. We had two games where we scored six in away games. One where we scored five. We banged in fours and fives and a, a couple of sixes at home as well. And people talk about Parkinson being defensive. I, I mean, the ever, the first 20 minutes of the Gateshead game, where was, where was the defending then? It was incessant. So I, I don't understand how... Just because people say, oh, it's five at the back, they think it's defensive. For me, three at the back, which is how we play it, is very attacking. And my other response to it would be, yeah, you talk to people really, you know, managers and coaches, and they're reluctant sometimes to talk about things in terms of formation. It's just a rough, it's a rough peg to hang your idea on, if you like. When we have the ball, we never have three players at the back. You know, just just look at it. When we when we have three players, when we have the ball, we'll have the wing backs are really high up, either wide or coming inside to let someone else go outside them. One of the centre backs, whichever side the ball's on, will be looking to join in, and the other two centre backs are there. Football, modern football, is more of a two-three-five when you've got the ball, um, and a four-four-two will be the same thing. You'll leave one man back more than the other side have got up. Your full-backs have come up a bit, give a bit of width, not as much. You know, it, it's... The, you know, the formations are just a, a name to put on an approach, aren't they, really? And there's, there's so many different ways to play those systems, but I think saying, oh, we're defensive because we have five at the back is... It's, it's not a reflection of what we are or what we do. One final point... Remember that interview last week with Phil Parkinson where there was a tactics board behind him and yeah. it was laid out as a 4-4-2. And so people were saying, oh, we're going 4-4-2. Well, I mean, apart from the fact that could be showing anything, um, including the, the diamond that they're clearly working on in training, um, apart from that, he could be just showing our shape when the game's actually in play because the players know what position they're playing in. You don't need to put 4-4-2 out for them. He might be trying to show somebody where we should be when the ball is on the right wing. Yeah. Where you should be, you know. Because, like I say, you know, anyone look at it. When when we got the ball and we were attacking, we had two players at the back and one centre-back hopefully joining in. That's how we play. Uh, I 100% agree. I, I, uh, and, again, I, I'm not against us, you know, like the Chesterfield game, I probably would have liked to have seen us change formation, things like that. I'm not against us having a secondary formation, but the evidence is clear. Apart from the Chesterfield game, and um, you could argue the Oval game, but I, I sort of count the Oval games a write-off because the, we the the weather conditions were so extreme. It, whatever. Um, but Bill, having a backup formation is fine. But for me, do you agree as well, Bill, that the formation we're playing right now is pretty bob on? Yeah, I think I think Mark's Mark's very right about talking about formations, and I think where it kind of gets confused is that um, Parkinson sort of plays percentage football, doesn't he? It's it's that everything's calculated to minimising risks, and okay, we do get caught on the counter and stuff like that, but I think people want to see us take risks because we've spent money and putting balls into areas where you you know, maybe you want to see Elliot Lee do. Uh, uh, a, a nice piece of skill and put the ball into an area for Mullen that looks really nice and it's free flowing and you're giving the players license to move in certain ways, which is, you know, if it, it, it we could probably do that. We've got the players to do that. We've got the squads to do that. I can understand. I don't say, not saying I agree, but I can understand the frustration to a degree, but um, the, the, the formation lends itself to minimize the errors that the players are going to make, minimize the risk. If, an error is made 
And actually, you know, it, it looks to maximise some of our strengths, like Mullins' ability on the ball, like being able to uh, get the centre-backs into play. Uh, we, we win so many throw-ins and corners. And when you've got uh, somebody who can deliver a ball like Tozer with a throw-in or somebody like Young who can deliver a, a brilliant corner, because his his corners do not get talked about enough. He puts the ball into very good areas quite a lot of the time. Yeah, we, We're constantly looking to get the ball into positions where we can maximise the chances of scoring a goal. It might not be the prettiest type of football, but like Mark said, you only have to look at our record over the last year in terms of the amount of goals scored, the amount of points won, to see that it's effective. I think it is pretty. So I've got to be honest. Oh, no. yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the thing. I, 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 I'm, not, I, I'm not, not saying that, but the first 20 minutes of that Gateshead game is what Parkinson's aiming towards, but, and it's look, just I, eviscerating the opponents, isn't it? I, I love it, but clearly by the reaction, I you know I love the way we play. I'm I'm all for effective football. I, I it's not my personal point of view. I'm just trying to sort of reason why people maybe being a little bit frustrated. And I do understand as well. I I I, I hasten to add, you know, if you're going to start abusing players or your team, then you're an idiot. Get out of the ground. If you're just getting frustrated like people were on Tuesday, you got the right to do that. I didn't hear anyone getting really aggressive or nasty at people. I, so, so I do, I do understand that, and I, I am happy for people to to vent frustration as in that manner. I'm not trying to say they were they're bad or anything, you know. Um, I just don't think we gave them the grounds to to be worried, and uh, you know whether it's sometimes people coming back to the club who haven't watched us for a while, or people are coming to the for the first time who've got an expectation that will just blow everybody away. Um, but football doesn't work like that. And teams are entitled to play well with 10 men and often do. It was surprising me on TV when you hear commentators saying, oh, well, they've done well, even though they've got 10 men. Yeah, fair enough. But they have to say that a lot because often that happens. Putting against 10 men is not a given. And we've just effectively disposed of two teams that did so. And at the end of the day, Mark, we've we've beaten both these teams anyway, haven't yeah. we? This isn't like yeah. a... It's not like we're talking about this and we've been played off the park by 10 men. We haven't. We've won 3-2 and 3-1. So, yeah. And, and my, my my problem with the... Not that we need to talk about the moaning all day, but like it comes back to what Che was saying. It's the fact that the players are affected by it. And, you you know, you were spot on to point that out, Che. Ollie Palmer really uh, did seem a bit perplexed. So let's just get behind the team. You, if you're frustrated, go home, go on social media, whatever websites you use to do your venting. Vent at home. Just be positive in the ground, I think, Che. Oh, I I hundred percent agree. It, yeah, it was it was just all. I was a bit confused. It, I think a lot of the fans who weren't booing and what have you were all a bit confused. Come on, let's just rein it in a little bit now. Anyway, after this, we're going to be talking about the Gateshead game. Your town, your station, your voice. This is Callon FM. Well, Gateshead. Uh, again, for me, an- another very convincing win uh, in many ways. But I'd like to start off with a little bit of a trip. This tra- segment to be a little bit of a tribute to Gateshead, really. Because, yes, we went 2-0 up relatively quickly. But for me, Mark, their fight and their desire and the- their passing ability and their keeper play very well, it, it was tremendous against such a a Wrexham side of high quality. I thought they were terrific. Uh, the attitude was terrific. You know, Phil Parkson talked afterwards about, you know, having 10 men maybe freeing you up and feeling like it's a free hit. And he's right. But gosh, you think about the context of it. The first 20 minutes, we were unbelievable. We tore them to pieces and we made their defence particularly look really silly. I mean, they look completely outmatched by us. Whenever Palmer or Mullen had someone isolated, they beat them far too easily. And I genuinely, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating at all. When the second one went in, it was so one-sided. I genuinely thought, oh, nine nil is a very fashionable score this weekend. I wonder if we'll do one, you know. But um, fair play to them. I mean, the last thing you'd expect the team to do after that sort of genuine battering is say, we better go, we got to go back at them. That wasn't meant to be in a Geordie accent. It just came out that way. Um, and, and fair play, they did. I mean, keeping it at us like that could have led to slaughter. But they played some good football. They worked things out very quickly. I like the way they like, hit the strike and he hit a little 45 degree behind him. 
so the runners could run into the gaps the wing backs had left. I liked how they passed out from the back. And and the reason fans were edgy was because after the red cars, and I've got to say story had a nightmare. And I said in the commentary, I'm a bit sorry he's gone off because he was so bad. Um, they 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 had a 15, 20 minute spell where they were so brave and kept asking questions of us. And that was the point where that nervousness came in. Where, where, and I get that, you know, the, the fact that they're opening us up and they've got 10 men and we'd started so well. I get that. Uh, I, I thought they were tremendous and deserved a huge amount of uh, credit. Hundred percent, and I think their keeper is absolutely class as well. To be fair, he's um, as you said, he's on loan from Newcastle, didn't you say? He's yeah. a young goalkeeper. He's tall. He's good at the ball at his feet. You wouldn't be surprised to see him playing at a higher level at some point in the future, would you? You'd be surprised if he doesn't. To be honest with you, yeah. I think his all pink kit also helps. He's six foot seven, and I think a big bright color like that. Um, makes him look even bigger because he really stood out, didn't he? When he was coming for high balls, whoa, he was he looked enormous. But when he was fairly young, Peter Shilton used to wear an all-white goalie shirt because he thought it made him look bigger to strikers when they were running towards him and they looked up and took a glimpse of where he was. And, uh, yeah, his kit seemed to help him. But, yeah, he, he was really good on the floor, wasn't he? He was very confident passing the ball out. And at first I thought, oh, could this lead to problems? He was maybe trusting players who weren't as technical as the Newcastle players he trains with. But that was one thing that did bother me a little bit, that we, we sort of, we tried to, you know, we'd have Mullen and Palmer on the edge of the box. They had two centre-backs on the edge of the yard box. They'd come charging in. And I know it eventually led to that chance for Jordan Davis at the end, but only Jordan was pressing. And so as long as the keeper got that ball out, which he always did, and hit the man well, which he always did. There were always players available square that he could just pop her off to, and we, I, I, we needed to step up a little bit more. I thought and pick them up too and be brave in the press. But that that was the main thing that I thought we didn't react well to. His quality off the floor was fantastic, wasn't it, Langley? Yeah, he's going to be a keeper to look out for this season, hundred percent. I'm looking forward to seeing um, him, <laughs> him. And Gateshead play again, to be fair, later on this season because they were really brave. And it was, I felt a little bit sorry for them, really, because I, I think their performance really, they maybe deserved to get something out of it, didn't they, Bill? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm not going to feel too sorry for them. We got three points. So uh, that's that's first and foremost. Let's get that out of the way. But no, they, they, <laughs> hey, Mark, I, I, Celebrators beating Bricky under nines, to be honest. So, <laughs> as long as the Reds win, that's the main thing. Uh, uh, no, um, yeah, they're, they're clearly a good side. Um, they, I, I think it's it's something that I, I, I like to say to you know your local United and Liverpool fans when they when they get big headed about facing I don't know Villarreal in a in a, a game in the Champions League or the Europa League that if you're playing a team in in Europe, you're playing against a team that is used to winning, and Gateshead are a team that have come up through promotion and they're clearly used to winning. And I think that mentality serves some of these teams really well, especially at the start of the season before they start to lose games and you know that that kind of um, confidence is knocked out of them a little bit. Um, you, you can tell they were very well organised. They had good patterns of play. Um, even even down a man, they they were still uh, you know going for it. I did feel a little bit in the first half, actually. It was almost like they were wasting time at points. I don't know whether that was a... A few teams have done that for against us. I don't know whether that's like kind of a thing that... I don't know what you think, Che, whether teams are trying not to lose by too much against us or whether for... Maybe in the Gateshead example, it was a case of let's slow the game down and try and get them on the counter at some point to equalise. But is that something you've noticed in games? Mm, I think teams like um, Eastley were doing... Eastley were the worst this season you know, going down straight away and what have you. And I, and I think if, you know, if if you're going to waste time, it's going to frustrate the fans. The fans are going to get naggy. The the Wrexham players are going to get frustrated. So I think a lot of it is good mind trick, especially against a team of this quality uh, in Wrexham. But yeah, East, the Gates, I didn't really see them doing it quietly as bad as what Eastley did, did they, Mark? 
No, I, I mean, their, their performance was really, like say, first 20, yeah. getting walloped, and I think maybe they did sometimes try to slow things down in order to, to, sort of, to try and regain equilibrium. Yeah. And then they started to really get at us, and from that point on, I think they were quite fluent. I got to say, definitely well, the second though. half. Sorry, correct. So definitely the second half. I mean, so sorry, the first half. They really, I maybe it's just because I'm in that Rex front and I could see him by the the goal line. There was a few times and the keeper mm. really laboured taking the ball down and just sort of taking his time to reset. Sorry, sorry, Mark. Go on. Yeah. I I would say though, I've, I've got I've, I've, I don't think they deserve to get something out of it, and I don't I'm not criticised them because I thought they were fantastic, um, but I think that. We had that shaky 15 minutes when they were outstanding. And then half-time came at the perfect time for both teams. Phil Parkinson again has said that he told them, he basically reminded them, look, we're a team that moves the ball around well and they've got 10 men. So stop panicking and stick to our usual game plan. And I think as well, probably Gateshead went in and their manager, Mike Williamson, said, that was really brave, lads. But if we keep committing like that, they'll probably hit us. And they were more defensive and more cautious in the second half. And we were much more in control. And I was looking at my notes from the game. And I know that Howard's made a couple of good saves in the second half. But they all came after it was 3-1. You know, I, I didn't note anything down that Gates said did that was worthy of noting down until we scored our third goal, which was with 10 minutes left. And even then, the next two chances we had, well, the next two chances in the game went to us. So, you know, hats off the gate said for a, a superbly gutsy and technical performance. But we deserve to win that game. We, we dominated twenty minutes, lost control for fifteen, but we were in we were in the lead for all but one at one minute and twenty eight seconds of that match. And I, I've got to be honest, second half I thought we really controlled it until, like Woking, we went three one up, and I don't know, maybe you thought right, this game's won now. Let's see if we can add. A cherry on top. That was the only spell where we were yeah, that, that and just for some of the spells we weren't in control of it, I thought. Yeah, but well, you 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 put me in the place. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I thought Gates were fantastic. I thought they were fantastic. But we still we deserved to win that game, that's all I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I admired them enormously. I, I I really liked them. I liked the way they played. And I can say it was really brave for them at two 0 down, having been battered, to say we're going to keep coming at you because they they could have just parked the bus and avoided too much embarrassment. I think, I think I can see should... what Che Che means. Sorry, that mm. the, the Mark Howard had to make a good couple of saves towards two yeah. or three saves towards the end of the game, didn't he, Che? And if they did put two of those away, then it's free all, isn't it? So I can see what you're saying about maybe you know they they came close to deserving something out of the game. I, I think they showed the rest of the league how to play against us, especially when you know, when we're firing, come at us a little bit more. Pass you know, pass around the back, frustrate us. You know, I, f- I think they did a cracking job and I, I was really impressed. And I and I was impressed with Woken as well, to be fair. I think getting six points from them two games and scoring three goals in both of those games, yes, we did concede against Woken twice and we conceded against um Gates Ed. And the, you know the gate said goal was a bit sloppy as well. We haven't really talked about that, but six points from them two games, Bill, it, it, it and scoring three goals, it's not bad at all, is it? Let's be fair. No, so we've got you know we've got um fourteen goals for already, seven goals against. We're what is it five or six games now in six games now, isn't it? That's that's averaging over two goals a game. When in Wrexham history can we really complain about that? Come on. How many times have we been down to the race course and we've been struggling to even see two two goals in five games? Never mind that many. It's it's we we're we're playing we're playing football that maybe everybody doesn't enjoy, but we need to start appreciating the fact that we're scoring goals. But all I want to say is for any Wrexham fans who've been going for a while, cast yourselves back. To is it the Dean Saunders second season with the white sleeves? Oh, Similar sort yeah. of kit to this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
How many yeah. goals did we score that season? I don't remember us scoring any. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. Well, we, the only thing I remember we, from that season was Tabubi scoring a free kick on the first day of the season yeah. or whatever it was, my, and everyone thinking he's the best. Things in sliced my, bread. My uh, my prevailing memory from that season was Lamine Sacco headbutting that uh, that player. Was it Lamine Sacco? Was that his name? That was that was. Yeah. Classy, Rexomatic, that's its classiest, wasn't it? <laughs> it was beautiful, wasn't it? And, uh, <laughs> I was, my my favourite memory of that match was when we won at the season, when we won at Ebbsfleet, and they had two players sent off, and I was by the, the changing room when I was commentating, and the second lad that got sent off smashed the changing room door, and the glass fell out, and you could hear it all smashing all over the place. <laughs> well, right, okay, that season... <laughs> In 11 home games, we scored 26 goals. So we've already, we've already on 10, is it, at home? From three games. And we scored 19 away goals. So in total, 44 games played, 45 goals scored. What a team that wow. was. Exciting, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. So any new Wrexham fans or any Wrexham fans from the past, just cast your mind back to those days. You know, we've got it pretty good now. If so... you keep stalling for a second, I'm just seeing something scary on my spreadsheet. Last time <laughs> we had a similar goal-scoring rate at this season. And bear in mind, we played six games, so you can't really say this properly, can you? It's a very small sample size. It's 1996. If Well, if you can't, if you discount, well, we got well, we two and a third goals a season, aren't we? 1996, we scored two 2.22 goals per season. 2.29 when we got promoted in 93 and I'm struggling to find something better than two and a, a third. So, oh, there we are. Last time, over admittedly the course of a season, we had a better goals per game ratio was when we were promoted in 1970. So, we are doing alright in terms of goals scored this season, I would say. We scored yeah. more goals per game than last season. But we need to stop playing five at the back, though, don't we? Oh, we'll open it up then. Just just imagine the short, the, the sheer amount of goals we're going to score. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think as well, a player that we really need to mention from the Gateshead game, who'd come under a lot of criticism this season so far, and I think a lot of it's been unjust, is Mark Howard, Mark. Um, he made some excellent saves. He looked calm, cool. The player that we thought we'd signed. He made some super saves. I know some people thought he could have done better with a goal. I'm not so sure. I think it's the fact that we lost our man who had a powerful downward free header from six yards out that beat him for pace. If it, if he'd been a yard across and that ball had arrived a yard across, he'd have got enough on it to push it around the post. Um, he made some really good saves. The best one was that one in added time diving to his left when we were right behind the shot and it looked past him and he somehow looked he just seemed to grow another but I was gonna say another foot but as it was his hand I suppose that would be quite confusing. But um, he, he grew another 30 centimeters and just tipped it around the post brilliant save and that's good to see. I mean this is an experienced guy 35 player of the season in his club at League Two last season and on paper an excellent signing and it was good to see him perform like that. Yeah, so shall we hear from him next? After this, we've got a little interview with Mark Howard. But Mark, um, just touching on that point you made then about goalkeeping being in each position, feels like a very short pre-season this to me, and obviously match sharpness could be an issue in terms of how many minutes people get on the pitch. Do you think that affects goalkeepers, or do you think that with the work you can do off the pitch... It's, it's a strange one because goalkeepers actually generally work harder Monday to Friday and then on a Saturday we're quite redundant in most games. So we work hard as anyone during the week come Saturday. We're actually the most chilled out, calm person in the stadium. So in hindsight, it's a total flip for us. So we work hard. We don't have to work for a long period because in a game, we only do 10 goal kicks and come for five crosses and make three, four saves. It's not a lot of work, but... During the week, we get absolutely battered, which is the best bit about being a goalie. So we're prepared for all occasions. We're prepared for the hard work and we're prepared to stand and just shout for 90 minutes. Well, you had a nice quiet day on last Saturday against Macclesfield, of course. 
Um, it must be nice to come down a level and then see defenders of the calibre that we've got in front of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the experience that they have as well and the, the willingness to just defend the box, it makes my job so much easier. I'm quite vocal anyway, so you probably hear me shouting away and just organising. And I see that as one of my major attributes and how I can play a huge role in this team is that I can organise our defence and shut up shop almost. And I think that the other day you kind of saw that and we went dead tight as a, as a back five, back three, however you want to put it, that we are just going to see our games when we need to see our games. And as well, I mean, a defence is a unit, it's not just the actual back line as well. And when you see the habits that they picked up already last season under Phil, you see Paul Mullen coming back and defending, you see Ollie Palmer heading all the set pieces away for you, so you don't have to bother. Um, yeah, that must be reassuring. It's, it's a good tight unit when we haven't got the ball, isn't That's it? That's it. And we are a unit. Uh, we defend from the front uh, and we attack from the back. It, we're all in this together and it, there isn't one person in that dressing room that's in it for themselves. We are a fully united team that wants to push forward and be successful. Well, I'm biased asking this question because I am a failed goalkeeper, as you can see by looking at me. But the goalkeeper, for me, runs the game when we haven't got the ball. You're controlling the size, you're moving everything around. When you move from one club to another, people have got different philosophies as managers. There might be different attitudes to pressing, different triggers, different things like that. Is that a difficult thing to pick up or are there certain basic principles that you would say are common anyway? Uh... My job's to keep the ball out of the net. <laughs> Anything else that I can help the team with is a bonus, but primarily I am there to just stop goals going in. Obviously, we're all going to be good at shot stopping because that is our job title. Uh, but in terms of how we affect different teams and that, ultimately, we're going to earn our plus marks from just keeping the ball out of the net. The more clean sheets that I keep, the more you'll think I'm a better goalkeeper. But hopefully I can impart on how I like to play the game and how I like to control the game. And It sounds weird for a goalkeeper that I like to control the tempo of how we play, but I do. It's just something that I can slow us down when I want and I, can, I love to play counter-attacking football personally, but it's not always the right time to do it. So, yeah, it's... It, it's one of your own attributes, it's how you see the game panning out. I really like that on Saturday, that sometimes you were getting things moving, but there was the one time when you lost the ball, and that seems to be what fans have picked up on quite a bit too. Oh gosh, you're careful when the ball's at his feet. But that's a strength of yours, isn't it? It's that ability to work now. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. It's just occupational hazard, isn't that's it? That's it, yeah. Uh, that one occasion, he's just read my pass. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I love playing out from the back, uh, obviously. A few of the lads have got on me about my Cruyff turn in the first half, but I am I'm very calm in goal, uh, even when I've got the ball at my feet, because I know that I can change the way that I play instantly by passing it from 10 yards to kicking it 80 yards. I know that I've got that in my locker, so that's my fail-safe. And ultimately, I want to play out from the back, but I know that I can mix it up when needed. I think that we scored a corner from the third, the third goal of the corner, but that came from just a long kick, me putting it in behind an Ollie Palmer winning a corner. So we can mix it up. Brilliant. Well, you said you're redundant on Saturdays off, and I, I wish you a nice long season of redundancy. I hope so too. <laughs> I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Well, I think it was Monday night, I believe. I was in work, and I was on my break in work, and I looked at my phone, and my phone was exploding because, well... Let's just say this. If five years ago or three years ago, someone sent me a screenshot of Ryan Reynolds talking about Vanarama <laughs> streaming rights and tagging the likes of Gateshead and Dorking in a tweet and Woking in a tweet and this tweet just getting hundreds of thousands of retweets and likes and what have you, I must just say again, how crazy and how unique is it to have Ryan Reynolds talking about the National League, Mark. Well, you know, um, speaking as Disney's Mark Griffiths, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been working on a project with Ryan and Rob for a while now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, basically, you're going to have to start paying me, otherwise I'm not going to answer your question. No, sorry. Um, it is... It is mad. I'm sure Ryan Reynolds would feel the same way because let's be honest, until Rob contacted him, he didn't think he'd get involved in lower league British football politics, did he? 
But um, I know, Mark. That's that's that is an angle I've never really thought about. We all talk about how mad it is for the town. I wonder if if yeah. you know he's ever thought someone told me five years ago I was going to be messing around in some town in Wales, playing around with a football club and messaging some dinosaurs yeah. from a. I mean, no, uh, sorry, some league officials from a, a, a you know a official channels that. <laughs> need to be respected and yeah. what have you. Sorry, yeah. I, I just would have loved to have been a fly in the wall when that got announced in the in the National League headquarters. Like, <laughs> you know, to be fair, they probably thought a tweet was a, a, um, a sound a bird made. So they probably got confused. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, but yeah, they did. But they probably, that's the only thing they thought it was. <laughs> um, yeah, so now we're going to talk. We talked about it on the halftime show. Uh, Gate said, and to be fair, me and Mark have talked about this way before it was cool, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> a couple times last season and the season before that on Dragonheart, streaming rights, especially a broad stream, which is really important to us. The only person we haven't haven't heard of thoughts is Bill. What's your opinion on the whole situation? Uh, it's it's a bit of a strange one. So this this. Uh... Last couple of weeks, I've been trying to, you know, in the absurdity of it all, trying to absorb how our new North American friends who are, who are deciding to whether to pick up the club as, as something that they'd like to be a bit more interested in and seeing that sort of feedback, partly to sort of inform what we want to do in Dragonheart, just to put a little bit behind the curtain and partly just out of interest. And t- to a T, everybody is asking, how can I stream this these games? How can I stream these games? Where can I see Wrexham? What do I need to do to go on Wrexham? How much does it cost to watch Wrexham? And I think coming, I think it's like a British only problem, isn't it? Because in the in the Bundesliga, they have a goal show where I'm sure you probably you told me this, Marv. They have a goal show that instead of having the three o'clock Saturday thing and and having uh, soccer Saturday like we have over here. They do the same thing. They have pundits showing the games, but they show clips of the goals going in. And if you want, you can watch every single one of those games live as they happen. I I, I very much respect that domestically we're protecting the football pyramid by not streaming Saturday three o'clock games. That should stay as it is as much as possible. But if you're in America, you're not flying over unless you're Ryan Reynolds or Rob McElhenney. To to come and watch to come and watch Wrexham at three o'clock on a Saturday. So why can't those games be be shown internationally? Similarly, you know, I, I work in a school. You work in a school, Mark. Che, you you don't finish work until whatever time it is. And it, oh, it's variable for you, so you can't even make plans. If we're playing Yeovil on a Tuesday night, you're not going to watch it. But if you can pay for it. Yeovil can make some money out of that situation and it's it's not going into Rexman's back pocket. You're not interested in who the money's going to. You want to help uh, grow the league and and be a part of that. There's no reason why I can't see that for for £10 or £15 to go or whatever, you can't just have a, a, a match pass. I, I know these things are a bit complicated and broadcast deals are, are, are difficult to navigate. We're not in COVID times anymore and maybe BT do have some sort of... Um, contract lined up where they've got the international rights or they've got the domestic rights um so it, it yeah maybe it is a bit more complicated than i'm saying it is but i just i really just we all the clubs should be able to capitalize on international fans we've got them because of this documentary but i'm sure chesterfield have got fans who have now moved to australia i'm sure Notts county have got fans who, who now live in tenerife or benidorm or somewhere you know these these fans should be allowed to access uh that these games in modern in modern times, there's absolutely no reason for but, for them not to be able to. But Bill, I I kind of even disagree with the Saturday three o'clock um, argument, to be honest, as well, uh, because well, from League One below, I think the rules should be changed. At League One and below, we should be allowed to stream um, three o'clock matches on a Saturday because I'd like to first see statistical evidence of games being streamed or being televised at our level affecting um, attendances at the games because from what I can see as a Wrexham fan, I know I'm biased and this is not, you know, it's not me talking from the league as a whole, but the games that were televised last season made no difference, no difference to the attendances and even the away games as well didn't seem to make much of a difference to the attendances from what I could see anyway. No, I think you've got a point. Um, And how many people who go to watch Dorkin 
Uh, no offense to Dorkin, you you just we're playing you on Saturday, so it's just the first club that's come to my mind. How many of those fans uh, are going to sit at home and stream those games? They go to Dorkin because they want to go and watch Dorkin live. I can't see many people going, oh, I'm not going to go to Dorkin. I'm going to spend Fiverr and watch the stream at home. It's not going to affect attendances no. for some of these clubs. That People maybe, but I don't know where Dorkin is. So I feel awful saying that, but Barnet are a really good example, right? So they're surrounded by other London clubs. They're not far from any of these. They could go and watch. They're probably not that far from Brentford or Chelsea or whoever in the Premier League if they wanted to go and watch those games. Uh, you know, somebody who's going to watch Barnet on a on a Saturday, they're not going to stop going to watch Barnet on a Saturday. I don't if if Barnet is streaming, right? I'll take your point. Fair enough. If if the Premier League was streaming and someone might go, oh, stop it. I'm going to stick Chelsea on on the stream instead of going to Barnet. But like you say, from League One downwards, if those games are. are, are of being able to be televised, it's not going to affect attendances at all. It's just, it's just going to increase revenue streams for clubs. Well, it's attracted some attention from the mainstream sporting media in, in the UK. Simon Jordan said um, uh... it, it takes away from you know the National League match day experience and completely diminished uh, Ryan Reynolds saying Deadpool's going to save the day. Like you know, belittling Ryan Reynolds, even though Ryan Reynolds is a much more successful businessman than Simon Jordan can ever be. Uh, what's your thoughts on that response? And it takes away from the match day experience, Mark. Um. Well, firstly, if I can just in general give my response to what Simon Jordan says, um, Simon Jordan has worked out that like people like Katie Hopkins and Piers Morgan that if he can just say things that annoy lots of people, he gets attention. And that's the only reason he was saying what he was saying. If you look at what he says, his comments were embarrassing, um, but he doesn't care because people are talking about him, as we are now. Um, it, it shows he genuinely has no idea of what is happening at Wrexham or at non-league level. And the tragedy is that because he gets clicks and because he gets retweets, people giving a, a soapbox bus um, to any sane person who knows anything about our situation, he made an absolute fool of himself. And I, I don't think there's any more I want to say about him. Uh, in terms of changing the match day experience, because I know that, you know, in his history, he was all about non-league, wasn't he? You know, and he's, he's, he's always a Bill Ricky, as far as I understand it. I'm sure it's something he has a great deal of experience in, sitting in director's boxes at Crystal Palace, um, that I really think that fans living in California and Kalamazoo and Durban and Iceland aren't going to be there week in, week out for the match day experience, but they might get to experience it if they get hooked into a football team by watching their streams, which is the least I can say to shoot his nonsense out of the air. Um, it's all about supply and demand, isn't it? We are now selling out. The last time we had nine consecutive crowds of over 9,000 was 1979. We are therefore a hot ticket. Last season, we had problems with ticket touts, unbelievably. So it's natural that we want to find ways for our fans to watch, plus the fact that our business plan is to try and get people in America, in Australia, in Canada to watch us. Um, <laughs> I, I can't understand as an institution why the National League would object, because this is 2022. And if you don't move at the times and you don't offer things to attract people, they'll move on to something different. And I think that the the board of the National League, which is made up mostly of chairman of football clubs in the National League, is doing a serious disservice to football if it tries to stop its member clubs from, as you said, Che, having another revenue stream. I think that that is, quite frankly, shocking. To, to be saying, we, we don't care about your finances. I mean, I do wonder whether it's born from jealousy somehow that some small clubs, not all small clubs, I hasten to add, but some small clubs don't like the idea of other people taking advantage of the fact they've got big fan bases. And whether it's born from that, I don't know. But 
the way I look at it, and I kept ranting on about this on Tuesday about it, is that we're talking about the general principle of being allowed to stream. If you, as a club, don't like it, if you are, let's just pluck a random example out of the air, the chairman of Boreham Wood, who normally get between 500 and 900 fans at home games, and you know that putting it on, streaming it, will cost you more money bringing in a team to film it and stream it than it will raise for you. Just don't do it. This is not about it being compulsory. It's about being allowed to do it on yeah. certain occasions. It's not compulsory. If you don't want to do it, just don't do it. It's fine. But let us do it. Why should our fans in America and Canada, who are absolutely desperate to watch a good game of footy, why are they not allowed to do it? It's yeah. nonsense. It's 2022. Yeah, was... I've got another. I've got another spin on the whole thing as well. Uh, we've got two two problems in the world at the moment. We've got a, an economic crisis going on in most of the west west countries, and potential for climate change being a problem. Okay, if you can reduce the amount of people that have to travel to games, you, you're potentially reducing the climate impact, right? So that's that's one thing. Obviously, we want as many people in stadiums as possible. Blah blah blah. But if you're a person that could potentially stay 200, 300 miles away or further, and watch the game, you know, especially at Wrexham, your ticket's going to get taken up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, talking on the economic crisis, if you're a family of, of of two adults and three kids, how much is that going to cost to get you to go to Wrexham or any of the other non-league clubs, right? They can pay £10, £15, whatever, for a stream. The whole family can watch it, but then as a Christmas treat or as a birthday treat, they'll come to the games. So not only will they not miss out, they're not having to fork out uh, an absolute fortune to to still be involved with the club and with the, the whatever club it doesn't have to just be us, whatever club that are involved. And the clubs are now still making money off those people because they pay a tenner a week or a, pe- a tenner every other week to watch the game and then use to, you know, come for a treat every now and again. Whereas before they might have just come twice a season just as a treat. So you're still getting, the clubs will still be making a bit of money off them, but you're allowing those fans who are struggling to be able to still watch their team play. And as well with that, the club have got the initiative at the moment, the Race Course Live initiative, where they are holding back some seats in order to help people within the, the crisis. They could equally do that with live passes. Yeah. So exactly. they could do yeah. that. Spot on. I was going to say very briefly that there's one small area, Bill, where I, I slightly disagree with you. I can see, like I said, that thing about supply and demand. I can see the arguments with some clubs of it affecting their attendances in a way because of what you're saying. But, you know, times are hard and a family can, two adults, two children go to the game and it could cost them, goodness knows, 60, 70 quid or they could get one pass for all of them. Um, or just the fact of if you live 10 miles out of town, there might be times when you don't feel like getting up and going out. Um, you know, that casual support is what makes a difference between your poor support and and that little the, the bumper crowd, if you like. I can sort of see that argument, but I'm afraid the way the things are going, it does look like that three to five embargo might be lifted soon because there's a lot of people putting pressure on. Uh, to do so. So that might not last anyway across all of football. So I think that's a sort of moot point. I think you've got to accept that things move on and the National League needs to accept that the best way to survive in the modern game is to move on with them. And I think there's a human aspect to it as well. Like I said, on commentary, you know, I personally think all games should be streamed anywhere, anytime, any place really. I think we we look back on traditions and think, oh, we need to stick to this because this is important to our values. When really, it, it you know, we've got to move the times. I think you know, there's people who are ill, who, who are too ill to get to games. There's people, like Bill said, who can't afford it. There's also people who have a family with, I don't know, autistic or disabled children and taking them to the game is just never, this is not going to happen. And getting childcare is just not an option okay. so okay. my dad it came yeah. to a point where he was unable to go to games we've been going to the games you know uh in, since the second world war watching wartime matches but the last two or three years he couldn't go to games he just couldn't physically go he he could have watched them all yeah you're exactly right yeah exactly uh, uh, you know people who break their legs you know mm-hmm. people who get injured some people who you just you know what i've got a bit of a cold and the flu i'm gonna pay 10 pounds 
and to watch it in bed and then go to sleep. You know what I mean? There's it, all sorts of different reasons why it works. And, you know, otherwise, those people aren't going to go anywhere and just going to go, you know what, I'm just going to watch City, Liverpool, United, who are playing in the Champions League tonight instead. I'll listen to Wrexham on the radio, which you should do. Listen to Wrexham on um, Wrexham Player because it's fantastic. But streaming is really important. I think it's the way we go. And I think it's the future, not just for Tuesday night games, I think for Saturday three o'clocks as well, because I think it could benefit a lot of people. And I think as a selfish point to myself, as a Wrexham fan, I can't see it taken away from match day revenues. In fact, I think it, we could enhance match day revenues alongside streaming. I, I don't think they're two mutually exclusive things. So to put, a, a, you know, bring it back, I, I had a season ticket for years and then I, I, my attendance at the race course dipped a little bit for a period just before COVID. When the games came back on and they were streamed, this is just, just before the takeover, me and you started watching the streams, didn't we, Che? It was like, yeah. oh, stuff it. Let's 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 watch the streams. And I got I got hooked back into it. I felt back as part of the club. And there's gonna be people that are that want to dip their toes into coming to the race course, but they're a bit unsure whether they fancy it or I know it's difficult to get tickets here at the moment, but this will be the same for clubs across the, the country who you get them one or two streams, they might think stuff it. I want to go back to whatever ground it is that, that they used to frequent. I've got to say as well, I was speaking to somebody yesterday who used an illegal stream to watch hmm. the first two episodes of the documentary. And, and what I can only describe, I think, is quite a naive move in that he now says that there's all sorts of awful things popping up on his laptop. Um, and I, if they did remove, of course, the, the, the three to five embargo, then illegal streaming would probably die out. And the only type of illegal streaming would be uh, urinating in high streets at two o'clock on a Friday night. God bless the Gwenny. <laughs> Ocular pat down and thrown in the Gwenny. Eh? After this, we're going to wrap up the show and talk about Dawkin. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, we got Dorkin on um, Saturday. I think it's the first time we've ever played him in our history. Uh, they're a club with such a fascinating story. I suggest everyone to go and look, you know, how, you know, how they've become a club and their rise through the English pyramid. It's quite impressive. Uh, shout out to that person who made that Dorkin away video on Twitter. Don't know if you got guys have seen it. Was it the uh, Aha one? Yeah, yeah, yeah that Aha one. Yeah, it's brilliant. Explain it. I don't get it. If you listen, it says talking away, doesn't it? It sounds like talking away. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like that. (laughs) Oh, Mark. Um... I'm very confused because, you know, when I was in school, talking was when you pushed the nerdy kids off a wall. I know I was one of those dorks. Up the dorks, then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bill, you, have you got uh, any last messages for the Dragon Hearts? <laughs> was he going to yeah. die at the end of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> last message. <laughs> uh, Before we spread, <laughs> spread my ashes over the race course, that's what I'm going to ask. No, uh, <laughs> um, just a really quick one. Uh, we're, we're trying to sort of change up how Dragon Heart works, uh, trying some new things. I know we've got a lot of new fans that are coming in who uh, might want to get involved a bit more, and old fans, obviously, as well. So we're proposing that um, through the various channels. I, I will put some more details out there in the coming week. We would like questions from listeners, uh, be that through uh, Twitter, uh the Wrexham subreddit's getting a bit of attention at the moment, so feel free to jump on there. YouTube comments, uh, uh, any, anywhere that you, you find us. If you want to leave a comment and ask us a question, uh, even if uh, you jump on, we're, we're thinking of resurrecting the Wrexham Discord as well, which, again, we'll put more details out there if we do decide to do that. And you want to leave us a little audio note or a video clip that we can play asking us questions, and we'll discuss that in the show. We'll be picking the best and most appropriate questions uh, to use. 
and just trying to uh, raise that fan engagement. So please get in touch with us. We'll we'll uh, feature your best clips and and comments on the show. All has to be PG as well. So, Price Griffiths, yeah. cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> all has all has to be sensible. No swearing. Keep it nice and uh, family orientated, as this is a family show. So yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Bill. God save the Gwenny. Don't uh, I get any final words? Oh, go on, Mark. Give us some f- final words. Uh, bury my heart at wounded knee ligament. That'll do me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think God save the Gwenny should be the title of this. Um, yeah, fair enough. Of this podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I'm uh, off to enjoy. A holiday in Clan did know this weekend, a little breakaway. So I'm certainly looking forward to that. It, if you're going down to Dorking, safe travel. So everyone, I hope you li- you might be listening on the way down. How exciting is that? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if you misbehave, not, your parents might put us on. <laughs> a lesson. If if you um if you can't make it down to the game, please listen to Mark's excellent commentary. On um, Rex and Player, uh, there's also the live match centered Twitter updates, all the fantastic stuff that the Rex and Media team do. Please check it out. But that's been me, Mark, and Bill. This has been Dragon Hearts. Talking away.